morning again. It's such a blessing to be here with you on this Sunday morning. This morning we are looking at, as you know, the last few times I've had the opportunity to bring the message we've been going through, the I Am statements in the book of John. There are two left, the one we're doing this morning, and there's one other one I will save until the next time I have the opportunity, Lord willing, to bring the message in the morning. But today we are in John chapter 15. My original plan when I gave June the information for what we were doing is to do the first John chapter 15 verses 1 through 27. When I went to editing, I realized that unless we wanted to be here till 3, we couldn't do the full 27. So this morning we are looking at John chapter 15 verses 1 through 17. Again, that's John chapter 15 verses 1 through 17. At this point in the gospel narrative, this is the Thursday of Holy Week. Jesus is about to lay down his life at Calvary. He has washed his disciples' feet. Judas has been revealed as the betrayer and has gone out from them. And it is made known that Peter will deny Christ three times. The time is near. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Before we go to the word, let us pray together. O Lord, our God, you are the true vine. You are source and substance of both love and joy. Everything valuable, everything beautiful, everything worthwhile is in you. And this morning I pray that you would reveal to us your word. That we would be able to hear it as it is. Because your word is truth, your word is power. Your word is what we need. So work in my mouth. That your word may come out. Work in our hearts that we may hear your word together. As your body. It's in Jesus' name that we pray this morning. Amen. So going to the text, again, we are John chapter 15. I will read the passage and then we will go through it together. So going from verse 1. This is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. 
These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is the word of God that we have read this morning. So in this passage, the imagery here is of what? Of a vine, branches, a vineyard. This would have been imagery that would have been readily recognizable by the people of that day. They were primarily an agrarian society. They would be familiar with vineyards and the agricultural work that would go with it. This is not the first time that Jesus has used this kind of language either to get across a point. If you look at Matthew 20, Jesus tells the parable of the workers in the vineyard. This even extends to the Old Testament where there are passages such as Isaiah chapter 5, Jeremiah 2, verse 21, and Psalm 80, where Israel was referred to as a vineyard or a vine. Here in verse 1, Jesus reveals himself as the true vine, and that his father is the vine dresser. This means to attain salvation, to attain eternal life, we don't need to be part of an ethnic group or cultural Background. Rather, we need Christ. Jesus claims here as the true vine. And that sets him apart as something more than mere man. He is the God man, which is something that we've seen. It's a recurring theme throughout these I am statements that Jesus is declaring something about himself. That means I'm not just a man. I'm more than that. So he is the true vine. As we have moved through. Some of these other passages, we have had to go partway through dialogue, discourse, or narrative to find the I am statement. This morning, we begin with it. I am the true vine. Christ is the vine. And what are we? The branches. Notice here that the branches are one of two things. They're either fruitful or not fruitful. There's two categories here. And the fruitfulness of the branch equates one of two Realities. If a branch is not fruitful, that branch is taken away. But if a branch is fruitful, that branch is pruned. This goes to the heart of the metaphor, right? Because the father, who is the vine dresser, desires to see that the vine bear as much fruit as possible. This is your vineyard. You want it to produce. So he cares for the vine in such a way as to have it produce as much as it can. And so the branches that do not produce fruit, they are taken away. And the branches that do produce fruit... He cultivates those branches that they may bear more. There is no middle ground here. There is either fruitfulness or fruitlessness. And whether or not the branch is bearing fruit determines whether or not it will be removed or pruned. This raises questions that we will want to answer as we proceed. What is fruitfulness? What is fruitlessness? How do we understand these concepts? We will look at them more as we go through the passage. Then going down to verse 3, Jesus speaks to the 11 disciples with him. Remember, Judas is gone at this point. He tells them that they are 
clean because of the word that has been spoken to them. Verse 3, already you were clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. This should point us directly back to where Jesus washed the feet of the disciples in John chapter 13. Just earlier that evening, this is fresh in their minds. If Jesus hadn't dried their feet with a towel, their feet would probably still be wet. This is fresh in their minds. So just earlier that evening, in John chapter 13, verse 10, Jesus declared to them, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. In John 13, Jesus states that not all of them are clean because Judas is still there among them. But by the time we arrive where we are this morning, John chapter 15, verse 3, Judas has departed, and Jesus now affirms how they, all of them, are already clean. How are they clean? Because of the word that Jesus has spoken. All of this is rooted in Christ the vine. Their cleanliness is not rooted in how fruitful they are. Again, one does not bear fruit and become clean on the basis of the fruit that they bear. That's backwards. Neither does Jesus direct the eleven to examine their fruit or lack thereof in order to determine whether or not they are clean. He doesn't say, okay, I want you to take a minute or two of reflection. Look at yourself. Are you bearing fruit? Does that mean you're clean? How are you doing? Jesus, no, he doesn't do that. He tells them, you are clean because I have said so. They are clean because Jesus has declared it so full stop. This is so incredibly important for how we look at concepts such as bearing fruit. So going down to verses 4 through 8, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Here we read that Jesus commands his disciples to do what? To abide in him. This is the Greek word meno. This means to remain or to continue. To put negatively, that would mean not to depart. So to abide here is to be in Christ. How do we know this? Because Jesus in the discourse where he makes the claim that he is the bread of life, one that we read several months ago at this point, declares in John chapter 6, verses 54 through 56, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Now I'll raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true blood, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. To partake of Christ in faith, his blood and body to be rooted as a branch is to a vine, is to abide, is to be in Christ. So we find the source and means of bearing fruit in the believer to be that the believer is in Christ. In order for the branches to be fruit-bearing branches, the branches must be in Christ. If a branch is not abiding in Christ, there is no fruit. None. This brings us back to what was said regarding bearing fruit and cleanliness. Why are the disciples clean? Because of the word of Christ. Because he has said so. There is no element of personal activity that any of the disciples contributed to any part of the process. They didn't do anything. They didn't say anything. They didn't think anything. They didn't feel anything that causally equated their cleanliness. No, it was the word of the Savior 
only that made them clean. And here we find that bearing fruit is much the same. It is not because of anything in the branches themselves that means that the branches will bear fruit. The only difference between a fruit-bearing branch and a branch that produces nothing is that the branches that produce fruit are in Christ. The difference is Jesus. There is no other barrier for entry in regards to bearing fruit. If one is declared clean, if one is in Christ, there will be fruit, period. And in verses 6 through 8, we find that the consequences of bearing or not bearing fruit is repeated, but this time in conjunction with the concept of abiding. That is, the branches that did not bear fruit in verse 2, that are taken away, are revealed as not abiding in verse 6, and are thrown away, ultimately wither, and are burned. Likewise, the branches in verse 2 that bear fruit and are therefore pruned so that they may bear more fruit are spoken about in verses 7 and 8, where Jesus says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, speaking to his audience, he is saying that whatever they wish, ask the Father, and it will be done. For what purpose? In verse 8, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. So we find that the fruitfulness, that fruitfulness is tied directly to abiding and that they are inseparable. To abide is to be fruitful and to not abide is to not be fruitful. But these causal chains are about to become even longer. So we're going to go to verses 9 through 17. Jesus adds more to this. He talks about fruitfulness, fruitlessness, he talks about abiding, not abiding. And then he talks about a command. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Now we need to address something right off the bat when we read that. Let's reread verses 9. In 10, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You may read that and detect there a condition, a condition to abiding. You may hear, if you follow my commands, then you will abide. If you obey, then you will be in Christ. Let's examine that train of thought. Remember, just moments ago, Jesus declared his disciples clean. This being in verse 3. They are clean. On what basis? On the basis of his word. Because Jesus says so. Jesus there with his disciples the night before he is crucified tells his disciples that they are clean. But within a few hours, there will be a temple-sanctioned mob with weapons and torches coming into the garden. Judas betrays the Savior with a kiss, and the disciples all what? They run. None of them remain. Peter denies his Lord three times, and even once Jesus comes out of the tomb, Thomas refuses to believe until the Lord appears before him and he can put his hands on it. He won't believe otherwise. 
These are all Christians. The eleven are already Christians. They are already in Christ. We know that they are clean from verse 3. We know that they are friends from verse 15. We know that they are chosen and that they will bear fruit and that they are abiding from verse 16. Clean, friends, chosen, bearing fruit and abiding. And here we know that they immediately fail in keeping the command that Jesus gave them. What command? The command in verse 12 that they love as Christ has loved them. Jesus declares the greatest expression of his love for one another as one laying down one's life for one's friends. These are Jesus' friends. And all of them, they flee immediately. They abandon Jesus. They didn't do what we would expect fruit-bearing believers to do. Peter denies Jesus. He didn't say the words we would expect fruit-bearing Christians to say. Thomas wouldn't believe until he could touch Jesus' wrist in sight. He didn't think or feel what we would expect fruit-bearing believers would think or feel. If we were standing as judge here, based on the circumstances alone, how would we grade how the disciples have done? Do we assign a percentage or a letter grade? Or do we just use a pass-fail system? Because it looks pretty bad. And what of us? Who can love as Christ loves? Even if I could muster the amount of love needed in a passing moment, I could never live in a state of always loving as Christ has loved me. To fall into believing that we must follow commands, and then, and only then, we will be abiding Christians who bear fruit is once again legalism. But do you see how subtle it is? We begin a discussion regarding fruit And then we all begin pulling out tape measures to see if we measure up to some sort of standard, not realizing that the standard we need to reach is utterly unattainable. Why were the disciples clean? Why were they called friends? Why did Jesus declare that they will bear fruit and that they will abide? Because of Jesus' words spoken to them in verse 3. Because they are chosen and appointed in verse 16. Because Jesus says so. Because Jesus says so. It doesn't matter what we say or think of Peter, and it doesn't matter what Peter thought of himself. What matters is what Jesus says. And Jesus cries out concerning Peter's life, mine. And for each of us, whether you cast yourself in faith on Christ decades ago, last week, or you do so this morning, there is no pass-fail grade You don't have to pull out the tape measure. There is only Christ and the word he has spoken to, for, and about you. Clean, friend, chosen, and that you will bear fruit, and that you will abide, and that you are his. How do we know that this promise is sure? What is the basis for our surety? Let us reread verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life. For his friends. The disciples ran out of the garden. They didn't do that for Jesus, but Jesus did that for them. He does that for us. The basis for our trust in what Jesus has said, the basis for everything that we are as Christians, is who Jesus is and what he has done. He is the root, he is the vine, and we are the branches. Jesus' commands here are not within a vacuum, but are themselves kept perfectly by himself. So going back to bearing fruit, the branch produces fruit only because it is in the vine. The vine produces fruit in and through the branch. For the Christian, Christ has already kept 
the command to love. So for the believer in Christ, Christ has kept this for them. But not only that, whenever the believer does bear fruit, which we know the believer will because Christ has declared it so, whenever we love one another in truth, that genuine love coming from and out of our abiding in Christ. Because if you have cast yourself on Christ, you are in Christ. That fruit is born by virtue of who Christ is and what has he and what he has done. And what has he done? Christ has laid down his life for me and for you. Each person in this room. If you would only turn to Christ the vine, source of both fullness of joy and love everlasting. He is the vine. There is no other. Amen.